You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Alright folks, welcome to the show. I'm going to be real with y'all real quick. So this is my third pre-recorded episode that I'm putting out. So it's still October back here in podcast land. And uh, I've talked about it the last two weeks. So I'm, I'm getting ready to go on my Iowa trip. Uh, so I have to have an episode like the week before, basically the week I leave. And then I probably won't be able to record one while I'm gone. So I have to have another episode for like that week after that. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I've been sitting in this chair for a lot of hours, and essentially I'm just kind of out of intro type small talk stuff to go over. So that's why you're getting slightly more drained, John, right now. Uh, I apologize for that. I, I, uh, yeah, I just, I really wanted to get some episodes out, so I've been working overtime to do that. Um, I've recorded basically two episodes a week for the past three weeks, essentially. And tonight is editing night, and so <laughs> this is my third podcast to edit in a row, and so I'm just a little worn down. But I don't want to be all doom and gloom. Uh, let's see, I think this episode drops November 13th, and so more than likely we are like headlong into the uh, lockdown phase of the rut. And so it may seem like things are slowing down, the sightings have probably gone down, and that's just because there are a lot of does being bred right now. But I want to encourage you guys because this is still a really, really good time to kill a big buck because as soon as he's done breeding that doe, he's going to be on the look for another doe. So it may seem slow. You're probably questioning yourself a lot. Like, am I in the right spot? I'm not seeing anything. My biggest piece of advice for, for hunting this type of, uh, or this you know portion of the rut is use your historical data like we talked about a few weeks ago and just put yourself in the best spot possible and just be patient and stay there. Stay in the woods, put in the time, because like I said, eventually that buck is going to get up and he's going to be looking for his next doe and that's when he's going to come by your stand. So you just got to stay at it. This is the true grind. You know, I think a lot of people talk about the grind of the rut and really pre-rut because that's when a lot of people are fresh and they're hunting the most. But if you really want to know the grind portion of the rut, it's right now. Because as I mentioned, just deer signs are, are, or deer sightings are probably down. You've probably been hunting a lot. Um, you know, you're starting to second guess yourself and everything. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just got to stick to it, stick to your guns, and be patient. So, so yeah, that's my that's my two cents on that. On that, um, I believe duck season just opened yesterday. As you're listening to this, I think November 12th is the opener. 
So uh, good luck to all you duck hunters. Hope y'all are are smashing them. I am very ready to do some duck hunting. I got some new decoys sitting in the garage. I got a new pair of waders. I got that blind that I got, you know, on half off or clearance or whatever it was. Um, so definitely ready to do some duck hunting. Obviously, I'm going to be hopefully doing some more deer hunting. I don't know. By the time you're listening to this, I could have killed like two or three more bucks. Uh, <laughs> there's no way to know. So, uh, so yeah, uh, good luck to all you guys. Uh, next week, I will be back, you know, more kind of semi-live. Uh, and I'll be filling you in on basically what has happened between the time I'm recording this and the time that you guys listen to the next episode. So uh, in that time, I'll probably done a little muzzleloader hunting. And possibly might have done some hunting in Texas. Uh, hopefully, as long as you know the earth doesn't catch on fire, I'll be hunting in Iowa. And and so, yeah, I'll have a lot, a lot of stuff to catch you guys up on the next episode. So, all right, like I said, I'm pretty much out of small talk. So that's going to do it for that. Uh, this week, we have a really good episode with my old buddy, Court Travis. For those of you who uh, that sounds familiar, Court is the Oklahoma State student who shot a giant buck uh, just outside of Stillwater. And, uh, and he's now a little bit older. He has graduated, but he's still hunting around there. And that's part of the reason I wanted to have uh, court on is because he's, he's still young. Uh, you know, he's fresh, uh, got a new job and everything can't afford, you know, a big fancy lease or anything like that. Uh, but he is still doing great and killing good deer on a good property basically just through hard work. Um, you know, he's, he's not paying a dime. He has a, a deal with the landowner where he just, you know, basically does some work and, and he gets to hunt there. Um, so yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, really excited about this one for all the young hunters out there. And it, you don't have to be young. Like if you've just dreamed of being able to hunt some private land, this is the episode for you. So take some notes. Uh, again, Court's a great guy. I always enjoy having him on and that is what we have this week. So that's it. Uh, this is my last uh, episode to edit. And so I'm going to finish this one up as soon as I get done with this intro. Thank you guys for listening. And we're going to get into my episode with Court right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's show. And today we got our old friend, Mr. Court Travis on. How you doing, Court? Doing well. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you're probably doing better than I am, though. Uh, you're headed back from the taxidermist, right? I sure am. Had some success this past weekend, but hey, you you're not doing too bad yourself, I hear. No, man, it's uh, it's been crazy. Uh, it just seems like there has been a ton of early season success success this year. Um, I've talked to a few people about it. I I think it was the dry summer. I think bucks are just so much more reliant on feeders and food plot. You know, basically just the food that we're putting out there for them. Um, but there have been a ton, not only just a ton of bucks, but some good bucks and lots of trash and drop tines and stuff. Just a lot of really good deer this year. I agree. That's one thing I was going to say was I feel like Oklahoma's not necessarily known for big drop tines. And I've seen a lot of big mm-hmm. drop time bucks killed this year. Yeah. But yeah. I saw, I saw one online a few weeks ago that was a double drop. It, it looked like something out of a painting, you know, it almost looked fake. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's I, a once in a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, you know, I work and we're coming up on it. I, I called it back this summer. Um, I think, I think that there's a very good chance that the state record muzzleloader buck gets broken this year. Um, just like, again, it seems like we're way above average on antler growth because of our good spring rains. And this year muzzleloader sits back a little bit. It actually goes into November. Um, and so I just think that's a recipe. Like I, I think somebody's going to kill an absolute hammer during muzzleloader season. 
Yeah, I agree. I personally am a big fan of muzzleloader season. Uh, I know you are too, yeah, but yeah. I tend to have a lot of success during muzzleloader season. And the fact that it falls into early November now just makes it that much better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, cool, man. I feel like we just you know did half a podcast and I haven't let, even let you introduce yourself. So let's back up in just a second here. Uh, Court, for those who uh, haven't heard you on here before, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Court Travis. I am currently no more a student at OSU as I was the previous time I was on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in Edmond at the moment, working at a law firm and uh, still trying to get out in the woods as much as I can. And I love to do it. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Staying busy yeah. now with real work life. <laughs> mm-hmm. You made it out of Stillwater, huh? One, one of the few. Yep. <laughs> not one of the few i shouldn't say that it's a great school my brother went there so and uh yeah i had a lot of relatives that went there so well cool man well uh yeah like we kind of hinted at you killed another fantastic buck and so we're definitely going to cover that here in a second but uh, i have a few little kind of precursors that i want to wake our work our way up to that and so okay uh you hinted at it a little bit and in case somebody out there listening doesn't recognize the name uh, you killed a hammer, uh, in just outside of, uh, Stillwater. Was that two years ago now? Yes, or two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ended up going over 200. Awesome story. Y'all should go back and, and listen to that one. Um, and you killed this buck on that same property. And so I kind of yes, want to talk about just, you know, the property in general. And, uh, one kind of neat thing that, uh, you were telling me about is that, you still have permission, and part of the reason you have that permission is because you do work for the landowner. So I want to talk about that because there's correct. a, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this, uh, and you know maybe they have the dream of owning land, but they can't afford it. Um, you know maybe they're not fortunate enough to to have family land or be able to afford a lease or whatever. But part of the reason I love you and your stories is that, um, as far as I'm aware, I don't think you've paid a dime really um to hunt this place and and you're doing things like working so just kind of talk about how you get access and permission and uh just just kind of encourage people that it's still possible to do that yeah it definitely definitely is still possible like a very possible thing for for anybody to do for that matter um obviously as a college student it was pretty easy drive around and and look at places and you see big deer everywhere and you want to go try to figure out how you can get on those properties and hunt them. Uh, I had a pretty interesting situation that I was in though. I was renting a house from uh, a realtor. And so the, one of my friends that lived in that house before I did, uh, did some work for that landowner and knew that she had some properties and would goose hunt on the wheat fields there to keep the geese off the wheat. So whenever he graduated, moved out, and I moved into that house, I did the same thing and um, asked if I could put up a trail camera, throw some corn out and all that, and got a yes. And here we are now, three, four years later, and that has been such a blessing for me to be able to have that opportunity to get on that place but it definitely is a possibility for everybody and for my circumstance i offer 
to help work, whether that's help with the cattle or do any type of farm work that is or plant wheat or whatever it may be. Um, I think that's one of the easiest ways to do it because not everybody wants money nowadays. Mm-hmm. You could always go and ask somebody and offer your work and uh, sometimes turn out to be more successful than offering money that way. But mm-hmm. that's that's how how I came about that. And I would definitely say that that's a great way to get access to certain areas that you maybe wouldn't be able to get to if you don't have money. Mm-hmm. But not everybody does. I certainly didn't. So. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, like I said, whether it's just a younger person or maybe somebody who doesn't have a lot of spare cash, uh, you know, family person or something like that. Um, yeah, it's just it's great to know the stuff like that is still out there. And I think a lot of, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the owner was a, a an older lady, I think. And I think especially people like that, um, that work is almost more valuable than money because maybe it's something that they can't get out there and do themselves, um, you know cutting firewood or clearing brush or something like that. Something that for a college student like yourself, isn't that big of a deal. Uh, but for somebody who may be getting up in age is, uh, you know, that could be way more valuable than trying to hand Definitely. somebody a thousand bucks or something like that. Definitely. And it, it depends on where you're at, obviously, but small town Stillwater, there's, I mean, most of Oklahoma for that matter, but a lot of farmers and, some of those people have lived on properties or for their whole life and they're getting older now. And that's one of the easiest ways to get around and know people is to just go knock on doors, talk to them and offer work. And it can bring some amazing opportunities as I've learned, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, this is something that I learned uh, hunting up in Nebraska, getting in with, you know, one of those people, could easily open doors to other places as well because you know like you said in those small communities everybody knows everybody and so if you get a good yeah, reputation everybody going does. With, yeah if you get a good reputation going with one person it you know maybe you see a deer or just it looks good you know across the street you know one day in casual conversation but hey you know who owns that like do they hunt and blah blah, blah. And, and you just never know what could happen so uh so yeah i just thought that Definitely. was really cool kind of wanted you to share your experience with that yeah, very, very unique situation, but beyond thankful and blessed to to be the one to get to go through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about that property, but I think I actually want to go ahead and let you kind of tell your story first. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, this is, uh, did you say this is your fourth year hunting this property? So third, let's see, freshman year. Yeah, so this is my fourth year, fourth season hunting it. That's great. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, man, let's dig in. Let's let's talk about this deer and the hunt and uh, and just everything about it. Well, um, so had a little bit of history with this deer. Um, all started last season. I had many encounters with them. I was trying to remember the count, but I think it was close to a dozen encounters while sitting in the stand with this buck last year um but last year he wasn't near the buck he was this year and was definitely young last year but he had some great potential so passing each time it was awesome to watch a buck like that and 
he was basically a he was just a mainframe 10 um last year with one inside point that he grew back again this year and then his fours split at the end on both sides this year and one of those did that last year and so that was kind of like the the ninth point on that other side and then he had that extra point but so it all started uh i think i put cameras out in late july mid to late mid to late july (laughs) and uh i just i'm the type of person i love having cameras out as much as i can like Mm-hmm. It all just fascinates me and I love doing it and watching these deer. And so I put it out earlier than most people, but I didn't, I didn't mind it because it was pretty cool getting to watch them for that long, mm-hmm. but pretty, pretty fast uh, after putting corn and camera out, uh, started getting these bucks on camera there. And I'd say total, there was probably over a dozen bucks that I had coming in to this one little spot and he was one of them immediately I saw him and was just blown away and loved him and it's like that's that's the one that's <laughs> that's, that's gonna be the target so uh-huh. was able to watch him all all uh, summer and into early fall and um so that was pretty cool so coming a little bit closer to October um there he's coming in pretty regularly um or every night but with it being so warm he he, uh he wouldn't come in until right there at last light and so i don't know what it is with this property but they don't necessarily bet on it they bet just off of it and then they right at right at dark that's when they come onto it and so right now the wheat field isn't grown up or anything and, and i plan a little food plot as well but obviously that's not up either, but uh, so there's really not a whole lot there to attract to attract them there except for the corn. Mm-hmm. So was pretty much expecting it to happen right there close to dark. So I didn't hunt him until um, that first cold front that we had. I don't know exactly what day that was. I think it was around because um, that's pretty much when I killed my buck. That was like around the fifth. Yeah, it was. Feel like I hunted that Friday or Saturday when mm-hmm. that cold front hit, and uh, it was one of those high pressure days. It was 15 mile an hour north wind, like just you know picture perfect for early October. If we could have that all the time in October, <laughs> early October, that'd be amazing. Uh-huh. But I was pretty pretty confident that that he was going to come in that night, um, and he sure did. But the thing was, is every single time these deer come in, they always walk in the middle of the field. They come from the north and walk through the middle of the field and loop around and then come into the corn basically from the west. And so he was basically straight west of me and that straight north wind. And he didn't like something right off the bat. So I had him right at 40 and I had my bow up ready to shoot. Uh, not drawn back yet, but just needing him to turn. And he'd never turned and ended up blowing and running to the other side of the field. Well, one of the other mature bucks that wasn't quite yet into the field walked in not long after that. And he's still standing there. We can see him 150 yards away. And 
uh, he sees one of those other bucks coming in. And so he comes right back. And this time he was at 30 yards in the same window that I have to shoot through right to the west of me. And he's facing me. And I've got video proof of all this, <laughs> but he's <laughs> facing me and just not turning. I have my bow up ready to draw back. In my mind, I'm like, all right, right when he turns, I'm drawing and shooting. Like they're on edge. Like I was, I was prepared right for whenever he turned. Well, he didn't turn. One of the little spikes that was with him just turned and ran for no reason, caused them all to run away again. And, and that was my night. And I was pretty crushed. I was like, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Two encounters in shooting range and couldn't get a shot off. First, first time hunting them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, they know we're here now. So I was a little bit worried after that. Um, and he, he kind of went a little bit more nocturnal after that, just for a few days. Um, still coming in within an hour or two after dark, but he was consistent right there at last shooting light for the longest time. So that pushed him back a little bit. But we had, um, let's see, on Sunday, we had a little bit of a northwest wind and that is really the wind that i need if they're going to swoop around far like that so me and my friend are in the stand and my friend is working on getting these new arrows set up for his bow and he he just started bow hunting last year and got him his first deer and that was pretty awesome so this year he's going after a buck with me out there and um so he's he's there every time with me which is pretty cool and so he brought a crossbow with him that night in case his his buck that he's targeting walked out and I got my compound. So it gets, it was pretty windy Sunday and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it just died. Like that 30 minutes right before dark, like it just went from being like 12 to 13 miles per hour to literally nothing. Like I haven't seen it that calm in a long time. I was joking around because I was like, hey, I can I can literally hear a deer on the other side of the wheat field in the trees walking. Hmm. And it's like 200 yards at least. And I'm like, can you hear that? And he's like, yeah. And out steps a raccoon. I was like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. That raccoon was making that much noise. But also, like, how can we hear a raccoon from that far away? Yeah. Like, I was like, blown away by that. But I was like, that's how calm it was. If, if that puts it in perspective. <laughs> Well, we had one of our little half rag bucks come out and he comes in and he was on edge from the get go. And we're not moving, making a muscle like we're not moving a muscle up there. And he just keeps pinning us down and just staring at us and then going back to eating. And then one of us would move our arm a tiny bit or whatever. And then he'd stare right back at us immediately. And I was like, golly, I was like, I'm not going to be able to draw back if he comes in. Like, there's no way with how calm it is. Um, it's like, these clothes are just too loud. <laughs> and I was like, hey, if he comes in, I'm I, I'm thinking I might have to hang my bow up and you pass the crossbow over. He's like, yeah, I'll just let me know. So it's, it's getting down to the wire. And um, the little half rack book kind of walked off just a hair and I put the, I went ahead and put my bow up. I just had a feeling. And it's like three minutes of legal light left. And literally here he comes and he just comes on a string 
and he ends up not swooping around as far as he typically does. Um, he didn't swoop as far down to the west and then kind of come in from the south of the corn. He just kind of kind of walked right into it from from the north. And when he walked in, he came in perfectly broadside and was able to get him with that crossbow and shoot and he runs. And we heard, heard it whack him and he turns, runs into the field. And uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. It was kind of hazy out, you know, like right there at last light, mm-hmm. how it'll get and dead calm. And it's, it's been dry, dry here for a little while. And so yeah. that, that plowed wheat field uh, was very dry. Mm-hmm. So him, I, I hit him perfectly right in the crease on the lower one third on the, on the entry side. And it came out on that offside shoulder. And so it broke that offside shoulder. So when he's running off, he's plowing, basically nose diving, just plowing it through that wheat field and basically making a trail of dust, just a big old dust cloud <laughs> as he's running off and was able to follow that dust. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I was like, I don't see it anymore. I was like, did he go down or did he just turn a little bit and is behind the dust cloud? I was like, I can't tell. It's like almost like when you shoot a muzzleloader and you're like, huh, mm-hmm. can't tell what's happening yeah. after you pull the trigger. But uh, was was pretty confident that he was down right there. And, um, so we're we're pretty pumped. And then we get down and go over there to him. And, and he was already laying there ready for pictures. Like, I, uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny how he was like, how he died. He literally was propped up perfectly for a picture. I just went up and lifted mm-hmm. his head up. Yeah, and was awesome. just just ecstatic, tickled to death, killed him on the second sit, going after him and playing it really smart. Definitely paid off not going in there and boogering him too bad, mm-hmm. and playing that wind and watching that that pressure really helped. Mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah, man, that's a heck of a story. Uh, yeah, I I've been pretty fortunate. I'm trying to think of I've I've like seen my target buck. And, you know, not gotten him killed, like seen him at a distance or something. I'm not sure I've ever had one in shooting range that I was unable to, you know, get shot and then have to like hunt him down again. Um, Yeah. Man, that's, yeah, that's, that's a challenge, you know, because every time you go in there, you're educating them. And especially if you're there when they're there, you know, just that hurts your chances (laughs) even more. So that's pretty sweet, man. It definitely Um, does. Yeah. Really three encounters with them, uh, you know, over the course of one weekend. That's, that's pretty dang awesome. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty, or, so that was, it was a week apart, but, uh, Oh, gotcha. I'm sorry. I thought it was the same. Yeah. Ha- definitely helped not, not messing with it for that week too. Cause yeah. Cause like I said, that wheat and stuff has not come up yet. So they really don't have a ton to eat. And so they mm-hmm. just hammer, hammer that corn. But, uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty cool pretty cool hunt and i did have to have to shoot him with the crossbow and i'm not mad about it one bit (laughs) i uh i did i did kind of want to get a big buck with my bow just because i just got a brand new bow yeah but i i do not care one bit that i had to get him with the crossbow Mm -hmm. because i wouldn't have got him if it was with my compound that's for sure it was yeah the last like two minutes of light and Mm -hmm. With how quiet it was, there was no way I was going to be able to pull that one off. And I really didn't want to spook him again after spooking him that first time. Yeah. So it worked out well. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm, I think the older I get, the more I get that way. Like I, I used to be like bow only and then started killing some bucks with my bow. And man, I, I, I kind of enjoy, well, you know, now I love the timing of muzzleloader. Like that's hard to, hard to beat. So I, I've been muzzleloader hunting more lately. And then rifle hunting, like by the time rifle season comes around, just sitting in a nice warm blind and not having to worry quite as much about like your wind and, and being so silent. Like I'm usually just kind of ready for a break and, uh, and man, yeah. I just, I love killing deer. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I feel like a lot of people kind of go the opposite way. Like the older they get, the more hardcore bow, you know, into bow hunting they get because they've killed, you know, some deer and it just means more and stuff. But man, I, I, I just, I like looking at them on the wall. (laughs) So I don't, I don't blame you one bit. That's I'm kind of, I I can't agree more now that I've got quite a few deer under my belt. I'm, I'm not out there to do it specifically for the bow. I'm out in the woods because I enjoy to be out in the woods and I don't care what it's going to take at the end of the day to get my target book down. It's, still going to be the same result if i shoot him with a bow or a gun so Mm -hmm. getting them down is the most important part Mm -hmm. that's right and i know you uh you described them a little bit earlier but uh describe them real quick for us uh you know how many points all that good stuff so he was uh he's basically a mainframe 10 with an inside point on his left side kind of in between his brow and g2 that like kind of just comes straight in and then he's got a about a one inch kicker on his left g2 and then up there at his front i like i said on both sides at the front he splits he's got these five inch fours that split at the front on both sides Mm. and so he like I, I've never seen a deer that that's done that before, mm-hmm. but uh, he then also has another three or four inch kicker off of his right G two, <laughs> and uh, so he's a seven by eight. But the crazy thing about him is, since he splits at the front like that, the mass on him is just absolutely ridiculous. Mm. So the mass measurement my fourth mass measurement that should be in between the three and the four uh that was my largest mass measurement out of all of all four mass measurements and i've never i've never shot a deer where it's been like that but also it progressively got smaller as i worked my way closer to his bases so he grew in <laughs> he grew in mass as he was going out to his beam, which I've never I've never yeah. seen before. Yeah. But but I thought that was really cool. Mm, that is sweet. That is cool. But uh, uh, yeah, he was seven by seven by eight, and I scored him uh, gross, obviously at uh, one sixty three and three eighths. And awesome. Tried to do it as tried to do it as good as I can because I really wanted <laughs> to make sure I got it right. But yeah, so that yeah. that puts him at, at my uh, second biggest buck inch wise um, mm-hmm. ever by a couple inches. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. pretty pumped yeah. with them. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I just I just thought of this uh, question while we were going through that, and that's kind of why I wanted you to ask him to describe him because. I've had people on this podcast who have killed giant deer, you being one of them, you know, a few years ago. And I feel like, I feel like I ask 
all these people like, you know, how do you think this will like affect your future hunting? But I think you're the first person that I've had on that has, you know, I've got to talk to a couple of years after they've done that. So uh, now that it's been a few years, did killing that, you know, 200 inch deer, does that like change how you think about hunting? Like, do you, do you feel like your standards raised? Or are you still happy with just a good solid, you know, 140, if that's what you have to hunt? Like, just kind of talk about how your mindset is now after killing a, a big deer like that. So, so me personally, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily do it for branches or anything like that. I do it because I love to do it. I love yeah. the chase and I love putting in the time in the summer and putting in the hours in the stand and hoping that it comes together. And that's why I do it. I don't necessarily do it for the inches. Mm-hmm. Now, circle back to, yes, I did, <laughs> I did <laughs> hunt a really big buck for all of season and I worked my butt off for him. Mm-hmm. But shooting that was, I'm never going to top that. But mm-hmm. it did not in my mind changed the view that I have on uh on trying to get a big buck or anything. Um mm-hmm. to me getting getting a big buck is getting an old mature one that's that's you know hit hit his mark and um I will say last year I shot I killed two bucks last year. Um one was a 136 inch 10 point and that was my i will also say this last year was maybe the toughest deer season i've ever had in my life (laughs) so of course the year after i killed a big one i knew that was going to happen having the (laughs) best deer season of my life (laughs) and then probably going highest of the highs and i I was in the lowest of lows last season i missed I skinned uh, the belly of one. Mm. I missed two with my muzzleloader. I'm really throwing myself out there on this, aren't I? Hey, that's um, good. I'm being honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I missed two with the muzzleloader. One was because of the limb. One was because I was freehanding it, and it was my fault. Mm-hmm. But uh, so after that, after three close encounters and it being my fault, I was just down in the dumps last season. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the week before rifle season, and this buck comes in. I actually grunted him in and blind calling, and he came in all bristled up looking for a fight. And I was just – I couldn't pass him up. He he had <laughs> some really good mass too, so it made him look a little bit bigger. But also yeah. he came in bristled up looking for a fight, and I could yeah. not pass a deer like that up. So mm-hmm. I, I got that one with my bow. Then yeah. uh, opening day of rifle season – uh, was that Saturday. So I shot that deer on Tuesday and then that Saturday was opening rifle. And on Friday I was out feeding the cows and I was on this property that I never see deer on. And sure enough, I see a good buck with a doe literally just off the property bedded, um, bedded in some mesquite brush. Well, I was like, that was a good deer. I think I'm going to come back here in the morning. So it's what I did. And it's this open kind of rolly hills piece of property, just, just cattle pasture. And I go and I sit on the top of the hill under the one tree that's on it. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sitting there with the rifle and I got there a little bit late. And I, I'm facing one way of what I thought looked good. 
and I'm sitting there for like two minutes and it's cold and windy and I'm it's I'm facing north mm-hmm. and I just I literally am crying my eyes are watering so bad from that cold wind so I was like all right I'm turning around or I was like I gotta go over the hill just a little bit to to get off of this wind and as I'm walking up over that hill like I literally walked like 10 yards I can see that buck that I saw previous day walking <laughs> right towards me on mm-hmm. the property that I'm hunting. And mm-hmm. I first saw him at about 150 yards and he walks right at me. And I, I actually laid down and the grass was too tall. So I was like, crap. <laughs> so I stood <laughs> up and then uh, he went behind a big greenbrier patch. And I was like, all right, when he pops out, I'm, I'm going to shoot him. So I stood up so I could actually see and I forgot to shoot in six, of course. Mm. And free handed, he walks out. I gave him the mer and shot him at like 70 yards. And, he ran probably 40 yards and piled up. And that was, he wasn't anything crazy either. He was a nine point with short, literally like one inch brows. His, uh, his Jeep forum, that one side was really short too, but was a good deer. Got me excited. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, if I like the deer and it gets me excited, then I'm a more than likely take him every time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what it's about. It's not about the inches or anything. It's mm-hmm. if, if you like the deer and it gets you excited, then yeah. that should be all, all that it takes to, to make your decision. Amen, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I'm glad, glad a uh, cool person like you tagged that buck. So yeah, yeah, I I'll, appreciate uh, it. yeah so I had two quick stories kind of on that, on those same lines. Uh, one of my good buddies who actually just recorded an episode with, uh, they had this lease um, kind of in a very unsuspe- unsuspecting spot, um, but his brother, who is not near as big of a hunter as he is, um, in back-to-back years killed two monsters. Uh, one went just over 200, one went just under 200. And uh, yeah, and uh, so my buddy, who's a, like I said, a much bigger hunter, you know, he was out there all the time and he sent me a video of this massive eight point you know like the king of all eights um you know probably had like 12 in 12 to 13 inch g2s really nice deer and you know, he just sent me this video of it like walking away and i was like what was wrong with that one you know it probably would have been maybe his biggest deer ever um but he was like man like hunting here like that's just not one you shoot and so even though he hadn't killed one just knowing that those deer were out there totally changed you know, how he hunted that property, which I always kind of thought was interesting. Yeah. And, and I don't blame him either, you know, um, yeah. knowing that there was that possibility, it, it'd be hard for me to use that tag. Um, and then just kind of as an encouragement to you, you know, you said you'll never kill a buck like that in your life. Uh, I killed my biggest buck in, I don't know if it was 17 or 16, somewhere in there. And um, he, he, he went 175. And I sent it, you know, the picture to a couple buddies and all of them were like, man, buck of a lifetime, buck of a lifetime. And my first thought was like, man, I hope not. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I ain't quitting hunting, you know, like I'm always going to be chasing something bigger. And, and, you know, maybe that is the biggest buck I'll ever kill. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is don't give up. Like, yes, you killed a monster, yep. but you never know. They're out there. So, yeah. And, and that is a buck of a lifetime. And mm-hmm. that that does make it pretty pretty awesome to be able to to continue to hunt and chase your goal and and once you beat that goal bump it up and try to beat that one and it's like 
that's just the fun aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I say, yeah. I, I guess I set that uh, goal a little high for me pretty early, but <laughs> you did, you did. No, but hey, that just that, that just gives all. you more time to beat it. Uh, and yeah, and kind of like so, and kind of like you were saying, you know, since I, I killed that. Oh, oh, you broke up for a second. Go ahead. You there? Sorry, I was gonna say yeah. I am a sucker for some big eight points, so that'd be a tough, mm-hmm. <laughs> tough task for your buddy there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was gonna say since I killed that that big deer, I've killed, I think two that like maybe went one twenty, <laughs> you know, with my bow, like old bully eight, you know, like one of them was like eight years old and stuff. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like you, man. I just I love being out there. So just a and good that's, lesson. That's for an accomplishment. That's an accomplishment in itself, shooting a deer mm-hmm. that old because yeah, they don't get that old being stupid. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That is right. That is that is absolutely right. Well, man, uh, we're actually we're we're coming up on time here pretty quick, but I do have one more quick question for you, and uh, I'm going to kind of relate it back to you know what we talked about with getting access and everything. So, uh, so this property you're hunting, you don't own it. Um, you mentioned you had a food plot, so it sounds like you're able to you know maybe do a little bit of you know mani- manipulation. We'll call it that. Um, but I just kind of want to talk about uh, you know ba- basically being able to hunt the same property for multiple years. And just kind of what you've learned about it, you know, how, uh, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is like using historical data to your advantage to kind of make up for you not owning it and you not being able to just do whatever you want. And so just kind of talk about what it's been like just learning the property and learning how the deer use it and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, that first, that first year was definitely a learning curve. Um, Previous properties that I've hunted uh, had plenty of does on it and not a ton of bucks on it. Well, right from the get-go, that first year I was hunting it, I got a lot of bucks on camera and literally no does. And so that was a big, um, a big learning curve. There was come rut, come mid mid October, could be early October. These bucks are going to start getting out of there. Um, but it it definitely um definitely makes um makes it tough if you're not gonna be able to hunt that property very much or for a continuous amount of years and i will say each property is different but uh this particular property it's just it's just a bubble and a bubble of good genes in the middle of nothing and it uh it is pretty cool to be able to hunt it for four seasons and watch these deer that keep coming back and watching them grow and learning exactly what they're going to do. Like now hunting this past weekend, I could have told you exactly what they were going to do when they were exactly going to do it. And that's, that's just how it is after hunting it for this long. And knowing, knowing that just comes from putting in the time in the stand and getting the intel and, and learning from mistakes whether it's being out there or or not, mm-hmm. uh, but it can be very beneficial to know what you have intel wise. Um, I'm not I'm not joking. Right now, I have one doe on camera there right now, mm. and probably about ten consistent bucks coming in. Mm. And so that was another thing I kept in the back of my mind was that I wasn't sure how long this buck was going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I was trying to get them pretty soon because I knew that, but it also depends on, like I learned pretty fast that the deer were not bedding on me. That first year was different because that field was, um, they let it grow up into CRP. And mm. so deer were actually bedding in that. And that was, that was huge. That was awesome for me because there's not a ton of bedding there, but they cut, they cut that now we're planting it. And that was a learning curve as well, because I was like, dang, where, where are they bedding? What are they going to do now? And just learning from, from sitting in the stand and watching them every single night come from the same exact spot, um, learning, okay, these deer stay here all night long. Maybe they're feeding around in the field while it's early and then right at sun sunrise, they leave to go bed. Well, that's, that's what I learned pretty fast was that I was not ever going to be able to hunt this spot in the morning. This is an afternoon only type of thing. So it's like when you learn little aspects like that, um, having discipline is pretty important too. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, for being successful, uh, hunting specific winds that are not going to blow everything out of there or that are going to put the odds in your favor as best as they can. Um, but, but yeah, but managing the property for, for that many years, it's pretty cool to look at all the different deer grow and be, um, a little bit picky on which ones that you wanted to get. Cause yeah, we've gotten a few different and, and new ones showing up um, every year. There's a couple different ones since mm-hmm. I've hunted it, but it's a lot of the same deer. And so that's another promising thing to know is like, okay, if I pass this one, more than likely, if you didn't get killed by, by somebody else, which there are hunters surrounding it, but if they don't get shot by somebody else, there's a great chance they're going to be right back in here this year and that's exactly what happened with my buck um Mm -hmm. watched him all last year and he made it through and this year was even bigger and he's doing the same exact thing he was doing last year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's just like you can manage in a place for that long you can learn a lot from it and each place is going to be different and figuring it out um for the first time is pretty fun as well uh like a new fresh property it's it's pretty cool trying to figure it out. And once you do figure it out, it, it's pretty rewarding what can come from it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing that I've kind of been fortunate enough to learn. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, so the property that I used to hunt that we sold a couple of years ago, we owned that property for, I think, seven years. So I got to hunt it seven years straight and it was a bigger property. And by the time we got to year probably six, uh, I had that place so dialed in and you know my I, I had figured out all my access and my wind and how the deer used it that if you gave me like five days in the entire archery season like i could probably kill a mature buck on that place just because i knew it so well and i knew yeah. you know when to hunt and how to hunt and everything um at the, this the place that i'm hunting now uh much more challenging uh my access honestly is terrible um, I talk about it all the time. You know, it's a working cattle ranch. So even though we own the property, I still can't just necessarily do whatever I want. Um, I'm always fighting the cows. I'm always having to like build more fences or fix fences or something. And um, it's, I just always have stuff working against me. And so even though this is, I think, my fifth year hunting it, 
um, I still can't necessarily say, you know, I've learned a lot, but I still don't necessarily have it dialed. Um, yeah. But, but like you said, like, you know, the more you hunt a place and like, again, you know, especially with you being, it being a permission type place, um, having that historical data can make up for a lot of that, not getting to, you know, turn the entire thing into a deer sanctuary or a food plot or whatever like that. So, um, yeah, I was, I was just curious, you know, or just want to give you a, a chance to let people or to teach people that it is still possible. So sometimes yeah, it all it takes some, some time and some patience. So, yes, sir. That is for sure. Well, cool, Court. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, and so, uh, but before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to to shout some some people out. Um, so, uh, go for it. If people want to follow you and your hunting stuff, where should they go? Uh, my page on Instagram and Facebook is Court underscore Travis eighty three. Um, I'm also pro staff member with Hype Outdoors. Okay, and doing a lot of social media stuff with them and posting all basically all my stuff with them so you can go check them out and give us a follow uh i also just dropped my buck off at oklahoma trait taxidermy with my good friend carson uh he's new to taxidermy this year and he's up in the tulsa area and he has already done some amazing work for a great price and he said that i was going to get my buck back by christmas which is pretty mm, very pretty, nice. pretty amazing turnaround which is awesome but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, Court, I appreciate you coming on again. Um, fantastic young man, great individual. So I always love having you on. And uh, man, hopefully, uh, well, I mean, you still got another tag. Maybe you'll get another one this year and in the, in the yes, bright future to come. So we'll definitely have to have you on again sometime. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you later. And there we go. Thank you, Court, for coming on. Great story, as always. Really, really good guy. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Court, for coming on. And thank you to all the listeners. Thank you all for bearing with me during these last few weeks where I've been just running and gunning and huffing and puffing and blowing and going. Uh, so I hope the, the episodes weren't too bad. Um, yeah, I just did my best with the, with the time that I had. So thank you guys for tuning in as always. Like I said, next week we should be back to kind of our regularly scheduled program. Uh, I should hopefully have a ton of stuff to cover and go over. Hopefully at least, um, like at least one buck, potentially two bucks on the ground uh, over these next couple weeks. And I think that's all I have for you guys. So huge shout out to y'all, the listeners. Thank y'all for allowing me to do this and come and talk into this microphone every week. Um, yeah, we got a lot of season left, a lot of good content coming up, but that is going to do it for this week. So huge shout out to all you guys. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.